1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: I want to talk to people who work in, in the visual arts or in fine arts who deal with issues of terrorism and security and the world after 9-11. I mean, these are, you know, very rich, fertile territories that I see people working in a lot that are not necessarily prominent, some of them, but have a lot to say about the world that we're living in, that we tend to usually, you know, in all of our work, come out from a policy perspective. And I just think that the arts and culture have a lot to say. I'm Shane Harris.
3: And I'm David Priest, and, and this is the, the Lawfare Fair Podcast. Podcast.
2: I'm Benjamin
0: Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, November 16th, 2021. Lawfare has a new podcast. It's called Chatter, and it is hosted by none other than our own David Priest, publisher of Lawfare and the Lawfare Institute's chief operating officer, and Shane Harris, intelligence reporter from The Washington Post. It's a little bit insider, I know, but you know, sometimes you got to promote your own stuff. So they joined me in the Virtual Jungle Studio to talk about the new podcast, which will focus on culture, science, and national security issues and involves long-form interviews with cool people. There are two episodes already out, so we talked about what they're doing with the show, what they're planning to do with the show, and what sort of people they're going to bring on it. It's the Lawfare Podcast, November 16th, Chattering with Shane and David. So Shane, I'm going to start with you. How did rational security cause you to fall in love with the idea of celebrity interviews?
2: I mean, you're assuming that it was rational security that caused me to fall in love with celebrity interviews <laughs> when it was actually like, you know, it was it was Dick Cavett or Terry Gross or somebody like that. But you raise an interesting point about rational security and, and celebrities, which is that they went together sometimes. Listeners will remember that the object lesson was frequently the opportunity that I took to talk about passions of mine, which include new movies that I had seen, new shows that I was watching. Aliens. Aliens, yes. We could. Like, the truth is that you could shoehorn just about anything into an object lesson. But what I found was that, you know, so many of the things that I was watching or reading had a connection to to topics that were interesting to our subject matter. And so, you know, people will remember, you know, I would, you know, wax rhapsodic about uh, Le Bureau or, you know, how much I did not really like Homeland or, you know, just other things that were kind of crossing my radar. Um, So for me, it was always a fun opportunity to do just like two minutes of talking about something at the intersection of pop culture and national security. And, you know, it was also fun, too, because listeners liked it and they would you know, tweet at me or ping me saying, oh, thanks for recommending, you know, this movie or that show, or I'm really turned on to the Bureau now, and uh, and I appreciate it. So it was fun. It was, it was another way to interact with the listeners that we didn't have from the normal news cycle.
0: And David, meanwhile, while Shane was experiencing uh, the desire for object lessons to swallow up the whole of rational security, <laughs> you were chomping at a different bit. Tell us about it.
3: Yeah. And I don't know if there was some alien presence putting similar thoughts into both Shane's mind and mine. Uh, Almost certainly, yes. He suspects so. I am a little more skeptical. But around the same time, I was having thoughts about kind of how, how we address national security topics on podcasts. And the Lawfare podcast has effectively, I think, carved out a great space over the years of addressing that core intersection of national security, law, and policy. And whatever it is that touches on those, we're there. And we do it in a format that brings the experts forward, that really gets into the issues in an approachable way, but really focuses in there. Some of the edges around there sometimes weren't a natural fit, but we're always well received. And so I'm sitting there thinking, well, we don't want to turn the Lawfare podcast into something that focuses all the time or even most of the time on issues like intersections with Hollywood or technology and climate change and history and sports and culture. But damn it, those are the really interesting intersections in many ways for me with national security. And they lend themselves more towards long-form conversations, a little less structured. And maybe there's actually space for a podcast platform that does that. And I ended up talking to to Shane at one point, and we discovered that we were really coming at a similar idea from only slightly different perspectives. We stirred the pot and saw that it actually made of fairly tasty stew. So tell us about
0: the stew. The stew is called Chatter. It uh, launched last week. Mm -hmm. First of all, where can people find it?
3: And
2: secondly, what is it? Well, you can find it wherever you download your podcasts.
3: And in your hearts.
2: And in your hearts. Exactly. Uh, It's up on Spotify. It's on Apple. It's on... Where else do we have? It is finally
3: up on Google Podcasts. On Google Podcasts, yeah, we have learned Google Podcasts is uh, has has a a delay in it. We suspect there's a rift in the space time continuum when it involves Google Podcasts. But it is up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. It may even be available in North Korea. We haven't confirmed that yet.
2: Hopefully, because that would be, I would love to have somebody from North Korea on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Special North Korean edition. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so Chatter is a one-on-one long-form interviews uh, with people who are working, as we like to say, at the intersection or at the frontiers of national security and popular culture, technology, science. These are more in the vein of kind of the podcast interviews that people are used to hearing from, oh, I don't know, who would we even compare these to, David? I mean, to my mind, I think of like the sort of the, you know, the, the classic, you know, the Dick Cavett or the Tom Snyder interview or a Terry Gross interview where you just go long and you kind of go in depth with somebody and not just necessarily on one topic, but on kind of the range of, of someone's career.
3: I agree, Shane. For me, it came up with listening to podcasts over the last few years from people like Sam Harris on the yeah. Making Sense podcast, where- yeah. And Ben, I think you were even on that one to talk largely about the Mueller report. But some of his conversations, they'll go on for three or more hours. Now, we don't plan on making that a regular feature of chatter, but we want to go where the conversation goes instead of sticking to a a tight format. So that kind of Dick Cavett, Sam Harris, that's not a normal mix you get, but that's the thinking of these wider ranging conversations than a, a strict format would allow.
2: Yeah, and they'll always be. It'll it, for the most part, I think. Anyway, the pay is going to be. I'll do them. David will do them. Maybe we'll team up at some point too. But these are, you know, these kinds of one-on-one conversations that hopefully, you know, a listener will come away with with a bigger appreciation of that person's career. So this, you know, somebody might come on because they've written a book recently, but the idea is that we'll talk about much more than just the book and the book might not even be the launching off point for the discussion. And uh, yeah, and like David said, just like let the conversation kind of go where it will. and, And these will hopefully be ones that are relatively timeless as well.
0: So you have released two episodes Mm -hmm. of this so far. I want to talk to you about both of those episodes. But before we do, talk to me about what is in scope and out of scope for chatter. So uh, the Lawfare podcast, we kind of think of it as the news on national security and national security legal issues, but the news defined very broadly. So stuff that you may not be thinking about to stuff that may be on the front page other than being longer and being kind of about people's careers. How is this different subject matter wise from the Lawfare podcast?
3: Yeah, we are setting up a set of really diverse and for both of us, and we hope for all the listeners, also really fun conversations. And yet we envision chatter remaining very relevant To those core areas of lawfare. That is people who are interested in national security more widely will not be surprised by the kinds of things we talk about, but we will come at them fully jumping in to the edgy parts of it. So for example, we have some conversations coming up on topics ranging from astrobiology to healthcare policy, from climate change to board games, but all of them have a national security angle that make it relevant in a way that people might not have thought about. Some of them probably could be edge cases for the Lawfare Podcast. That is, Lawfare Podcast listeners might not be surprised if they would appear on that, but the format will be different. Some of them you probably couldn't imagine on the Lawfare Podcast. They're just a bit out there but they still do have that thread to core national security issues widely defined. That means that we envision, we we can have on historians bringing forward some lessons from the very deep past that normally wouldn't rise to that threshold, but might make you scratch your head and go, huh, that's just interesting to hear about. You won't hear anything on chatter that is dissociated from national security and has no connection to the core issues of lawfare But I think listeners will be surprised just how far we go. Shane.
2: Yeah. And I think too, like when I said earlier about how, you know, you could almost shoehorn anything into an object lesson for rational security. Think of it like chatter is the place where there's no shoehorning. It just fits right to where, you know, if I'm talking about a new TV show that I really love, like, well, then I'd like to try and get the person who created that TV show to come on the podcast and talk about it. And, you know, we never would have done you know, a whole segment on rational security about that. And that probably wouldn't be necessarily a lawfare conversation either. Although it could be a one-off, I suppose, from time to time. But this is more kind of the home for those types of conversations.
0: All right. So let's talk about the episodes you've done so far. Shane, uh, you did the first episode. Tell us about it.
2: So I talked to Joe Weisberg, who is the creator of the phenomenal and wildly successful TV show The Americans, uh, which if you are a Lawfare listener, you probably know. But if not, this uh, is a show that ran for five seasons on FX following a fictional couple who are KGB officers who are sent to the United States to live undercover as everyday ordinary Americans in the 1980s. Uh, And it is to a degree based off the, the so-called illegals operation uh, of Russian officers who were living in the U S under American and Canadian cover. So I mean, I've loved that show for years. I watched it when it was on. It's a show that has a lot of fans actually in the intelligence community. Interestingly, and Joe comes on to this to talk about both the Americans, but also his career as a CIA officer. He worked in the agency for about three years after he graduated from college. And also his really like lifelong fascination with Russia and before that with the Soviet Union. And he's actually got a new book out right now called Russia Upside Down, which is this pretty provocative and really interesting kind of proposal that he makes for rethinking the U.S. relationship with Russia. Uh, And listeners will be like, what's the guy who writes television shows have to say about the U.S. relationship with Russia? And it turns out actually quite a lot. He also had something to say about conspiracy theories. So let's listen to a bit of that part of the conversation if the russians felt like they you know sort of started something of a disinformation ball rolling they must be very happy with the the level to which it has reached almost these kind of mythic proportions with qAnon and and others who are just now kind of trapped in these just unbelievably you know baroque strange conspiracy theory narratives but i'm curious what you make of that moment that we're in right now where you have people who are believing just the most bizarre outlandish things about their government, about what it's capable of, stolen elections, all of it? I mean, and particularly as a writer, you know, how do you, when you kind of look at the the landscape of, of disinformation and misinformation out there right now, what do you see?
1: Uh, my take on it is that it's yet another opportun- opportunity to look at ourselves. So All the QAnon and and stolen election stuff, I I think it's nuts. I I think it's as nuts as anybody else thinks it is. But, you know, most people I know were willing to believe that Trump was, you know, either a paid agent of Russia or, you know, suborned by them and and co-opted in a very direct way. And that was a conspiracy theory. There was no evidence for that. That was built out of out of nothing, and so it's useful to recognize that about yourself if you bought into that, because then you see that's not just these people believing crazy shit. I I am I li- am vulnerable to that too, and I have to be careful. I have to watch myself next time, you know. And, and the next time is coming. It, it's it's just always around the corner.
2: So he kind of to me is emblematic of of somebody who's a perfect guest for this podcast, because obviously, you know, The Americans is, you know, a popular television show with core national security and intelligence themes. But there's just a lot of other interesting things that Joe has done in his career. And so we talked for, you know, a good hour about that, about his time in the agency, about novels that he's written, and other things that he's done that probably most fans of The Americans were, uh, like me, were unaware of before I started uh, looking into him for the show. So it was a great conversation. He was up in New York, Uh, And we were in D.C. and uh, we had a lot of fun.
3: And I will mention that Shane introduced something that we will be doing in each episode of Chatter, which is he had Joe reach into the Chatterbox, which is literally a box that we have of a series of questions that are a little bit off the wall, but it's not the same questions for every guest. It's a random question pulled out from the Chatterbox to get some some bigger thinking. So questions like, and this is good for podcast listeners here because even our future guests don't know some of the questions that could pop up. But among those questions are things like, what common misperception about your profession or specialty makes your blood boil? Or name one dead political or national security related leader from any era that we could really use right now things just to expand the mind a bit. And I think Joe did uh, a really interesting take on on his question. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, I'll I'll ask you to tune in to see how Shane and Joe mind-melded a bit over a pop culture question.
1: Mm -hmm. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about... Work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
0: and enter code LAWFARE20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash LAWFARE20, code LAWFARE20.
3: What about the second episode, David? Yeah, the the second episode, I sat down for an extended conversation with Representative Adam Kinzinger from Illinois, who has been in the headlines a lot this year because of his break with the uh, Trumpified Republican Party and his willingness to vote to impeach President Trump. And ever since then, for his steadfast conversations, honesty, sometimes very blunt honesty, about the importance of constitutional principles over partisan advantage. Now, a lot of people have been interviewing Adam Kinzinger, who has not been shy about talking to the media in the last few months, especially since joining the January 6th committee. Uh, but they've been talking to him about things like the details of Republican Party dynamics. You know, Kevin McCarthy, how do you feel about him as a leader when he's going along with things you disagree with and the mechanics of working on the committee? We really didn't talk about that. Adam and I actually went to the same high school and we had some of the same teachers in social studies, as it was generally called at the time, that inspired us to go into public service. In his case, He ran for the McLean County, McLean County, Illinois. He ran for the McLean County board when he was still a college student and was serving there, decided to go into the Air Force as a pilot, decided to run for Congress. My case, you know, I just went to the CIA. I didn't do all those things. But I got curious, you know, what was it about our experiences with the same teachers, uh, in a couple of cases, in the same physical rooms? What was it that led us to think about national security at that age and, and go different directions with it? Was, was there some emphasis like Midwestern values, you know, the value of truth and honesty and respect that, that somehow sunk in and has actually led him to the moment that he's at now, speaking truth to power as he sees it? Let me play a clip from the show for a peek into how his upbringing played a role in these values. You said your father working with the the Home Sweet Home, the Mm -hmm. faith-based charity issues. That's something as a six-year-old or even an eight or ten-year-old, that doesn't necessarily help you grok the big questions in life. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, life is fleeting and we need to make a difference. How did that actually translate? What's the mechanism by which your father working in that led to you having these thoughts? Was it conversations with him? Was it observing him? I
4: think it's both. I think, and I think, you know, if you'd have taken fourteen-year-old Adam or sixteen-year-old rebellious Adam, I went through quite a rebellious time, uh, including failing out of ISU. You know, the first semester with, you know, second semester with a point eight GPA, which you have to earn, by the way. Illinois were, State University yeah, probably has
3: a wall of shame of point eight it GPAs. It involved. does.
4: They took it down though when I became a congressman. And uh, but no, I mean it's it's. I think if you'd have asked me then, I'd, I'd start to have those values, of course. But the bottom line is, I would look at it and go. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the future is. But when I'd hear my dad, you know, talk about helping people and stuff, that 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 starts to author something in your heart. I also think everybody's born with kind of something authored in their heart that's going to point to where they are. Kid, really good, for instance, at you know baseball statistics. Very well, may end up being a coach someday or a manager. And um, but I think, you know, going into the military was after nine eleven. I had made the decision anyway I wanted to go in, but nine eleven really kind of was the impetus that changed that changed a lot. And also being in Iraq and seeing people that give their lives for the country, mm-hmm. I made the conscious this was very conscious when I ran for Congress. I said, if we're going to ask young people to die for their country,
3: we have to be willing to give up our jobs for the same cause so we talked we talked about growing up. we We talked about high school. We had a little bit of a time distance between us, so we weren't actually together. Turns out that, he went to some fratern. He was in a fraternity at Illinois State University in Normal, Illinois. If you haven't been there, it's lovely. And those are the same fraternities that, in grade school, some friends of mine and I, for kicks, late at night, would go around and throw eggs at because that just is a real mess to clean up, and that just seemed like the right thing to do at the time. Uh, thankfully, I grew up. I haven't. I haven't egged fraternities in many months now. <laughs> but we end up talking about that and not even mentioning something like. Potential Speaker McCarthy, to me, that's a good Chatter podcast. Is you get somebody who has an interesting angle on national security, but you come at it from a different place and from with an a... eggs
0: and fraternity point exactly. of view.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Did Adam Kinzinger
0: reach into the chatterbox as well?
3: He did. He he physically reached in, and he had just seen the night before the movie Dune, where if you have not seen the movie or or read the book or seen one of the previous visualizations of it. Uh, there's a famous scene in which the protagonist, hero, messiah, you know, reaches into a box <laughs> of horror. And so we treated it like his own personal gum Jabbar test where he had to reach in and did he trust me that there was not going to be pain and suffering in that box? I'll leave it to listeners to decide whether the question and his answer were mostly pain and suffering or not.
2: Did you hold a poison dart to his neck as well?
3: I... <sighs> I can't confirm or deny what was going on. We didn't video this for the purposes of chatter. However, uh, there was a film crew there at the time. So eventually you will get to see part of the conversation between uh, Adam Kinzinger and and me for a separate project that is unrelated to Lawfare. So Shane,
0: I know what audience members are, are wanting to know, which is will any guests on chatter be extraterrestrial in character. Yes. And if you have not booked a heptapod, (laughs) who is likely to be forthcoming in future episodes of the show?
2: Well, I mean, if I were to speak in heptapod right now, I could convey that because the interview already would have occurred, obviously (laughs) a spoiler alert. Um, I would be more than happy to, to entertain any extraterrestrial guests, they don't have to come to the studio. They can do it remotely, uh, with whatever advanced technology they may have mm-hmm. developed. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Would you be willing to negotiate a truce between the Greys and and the Lizard people? I mean, is that is that within our scope?
2: I think Ben being the ambassador of the Lizard people could right. probably be a good candidate for for just that conversation. You know, but I want to talk to people who are. You're probably going to hear from, on my side of the ledger of this from people who are tending to work, um, you know, popular culture, the arts. I mean, I listeners will know, I think, probably that I have a background from having worked out in L.A. and am interested in film and in TV uh, and screenwriting. Um, so probably most of my folks will tend to be in that kind of realm of people who are creatives, I would think, and who are working on, you know, topics as broad as, you know, going from, you know, the Americans to, you know, potentially other spy shows and spy dramas. We hope to have some uh, some spy novelists uh, as well on the podcast, so you can kind of gives you a flavor for that. But, you know, without talking about specific guests yet, including ones I have yet to ask, I want to talk to people who work in in the visual arts or in fine arts, who deal with issues of terrorism and security and the world after 9-11. I mean, these are, you know, very rich, fertile territories that I see people working in a lot that are not necessarily prominent, some of them, but have a lot to say about the world that we're living in, that we tend to usually, you know, in all of our work, come out from a policy perspective. And I just think that the arts and culture have a lot to say Uh, And ultimately, you know, may have a lot to say that is equally as important and long-lasting as policy uh, into how the world perceives of kind of where we are and how we feel about our security, which I know sounds kind of highfalutin, but I wanted to go from, you know, the level of somebody working on a TV show to somebody doing, you know, an art installation. I mean, kind of covering the range of expression that way. And you know if it's it, it, i would love to have actors who've created roles i would love to have you know painters who work in a kind of a medium where they're dealing with things like you know Guantanamo prisoners and surveillance and you know themes that get expressed in all kinds of different stories fiction is just a really important way that i think about making sense of reality and i think often fiction does a better job of making sense of reality than even, you know, someone in my job as role as a journalist can do. And so I want to take this opportunity to talk to people about that. And I hope those make for good conversations.
3: Shane, you're burying the lead here. Yes, you will be talking about the intersection of aliens and national
2: security. I mean, come on, it's Don't obvious, try to hide right? it. I mean, if it's, 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 I'm on the podcast, like, you know, you're getting that. <laughs> so David, how about you?
0: What's, uh, you're, you're a little less artsy than Shane. A little more science, I think. What's your focus going to be?
3: My, my focus is going to be a lack of focus. My focus is going to be wherever the spirit takes me. And at one end of that, I, I think Shane and I both may go this direction at times. One end of that will be talking to people who would be natural fits on any national security conversation, which are former senior officials, practitioners of national security, but coming at their experiences from a different angle. And I'll preview one, which is dropping very soon here, which is Sue Gordon. Uh, Sue Gordon is known as the principal deputy director of national intelligence during the Trump administration, the virtually unpronounceable PDDNI or Diddy, as it's known affectionately inside. And you could easily have a conversation, as we have with her on the Lawfare podcast several times, about intelligence news, about a new... IC initiative or a document that has been released from the intelligence community. But that's not what I talked to her about. What I talked to her about was her formative experiences, her passion for team sports. Most people don't know she was on the Duke basketball team and was very, very good at that. But that's not trivia. For her, that is core because it informed the way that she mentored people. It informed her views on leadership. It informed her views on a career and creative conflict within a career. So we we talked about a range of issues, but they were more like that than they were about, give me your take on the most recent, you know, intelligence report that has been released. So I definitely want to hit some of that, which is national security practitioners, but more about their stories and the the unique things they bring to the table, while at the same time talking to people who normally wouldn't associate with national security like international experts on uh, sports in the global arena and what that has to do with politics and national security, or people who work in the sciences or in history and trying to apply the lessons on everyone from the Marquis de Lafayette to historical figures that might even be obscure. Getting interesting ideas to me is more important than having a single focus.
2: And I think what's also as as we're talking about this, it's probably obvious people that, you know, these interviews are meant to to show all the dimensions of someone and not merely what they're known for. Right. So like with Adam Kinzinger, it's, it's not talking about the day to day politics or necessarily just talking about Trump and the Republican Party. It's talking about what makes these people the whole people that they obviously are. And I should say for guests on the podcast. They love that. I mean, you're talking about people who don't normally get to talk about all these different aspects of their life. Like it's unusual that somebody wants to talk to Sue Gordon about her career playing college basketball. Because usually, when you want to talk to Sue Gordon, it's about something on the news or something related to her job uh, or what her job recently was. So it actually makes for, and to some degree, it makes our job a bit easier in that the pitch for somebody to come on a show like this it's not a hard one. I mean, if they'll either do it or they won't. But the idea of coming on and talking about, you know, not just the thing they've done recently, but about the whole of their career or their influences and getting to do that, you know, in a meaningful way for an hour plus is pretty appealing.
3: And let me add that some of the topics themselves will do that in a different way. And I'm thinking here, some of the the interesting things that people think about when you reflect back on a presidential administration, and let's pick a relatively recent one, the the Bush 43, George W. Bush uh, Jr. administration. If you think about the most momentous events worldwide of that administration, most people really quickly race to 9-11, the war on terror, surveillance, Iraq, issues like that. But You talk to people in Africa, they have a very different view of the George W. Bush administration. The George W. Bush administration's AIDS efforts are legendary there and literally helped save millions of lives. That's a different take on a George W. Bush foreign policy initiative than you'll normally get. Similarly, when walking through the International Spy Museum here in Washington, you see a lot of interesting artifacts, but one that gets a whole lot of attention and you seem to to see people lingering over a little bit longer than most is a a recreation by the same guy who made the original, which is lost, but a recreation of the Markov umbrella, the umbrella that was used to assassinate the Bulgarian dissident and the tip of the umbrella that was poked into his leg and he felt and it. And which a shows pain. up in
0: the Americans.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's it's pop culture gold because it has been either imitated or recreated in all kinds of fiction that Shane and I both appreciate. And the Markov umbrella, you can see exactly what it looked like there at the spy museum, but obviously one display doesn't go into detail about, well, how did the poison work and how does it relate to other poisons that have been used in famous world assassinations? That's the kind of thing we're going to jump into with glee, not because we like, you know, Thinking of people being poisoned and dying. Actually, it's
0: you like thinking about people. But being we kind of
3: do, right? I mean, it's. I might have a list.
0: It's kind <laughs> of badass.
3: Our, our list overlaps, so uh, watch out.
0: <laughs> all right, one more question, and then I'll let you guys go. This is for David. David, will there be ads on this podcast? And what can people do who want to avoid ads on the Chatter podcast and all Lawfare podcasts?
3: They can do nothing but cry. No, no. We Initially, we, we may not have ads on the podcast right away, but but soon we will because it does take some effort to make these things happen. Uh, we intend for these to be interesting and also well produced. And that is not something that is free. So yeah, there, there probably will be ads on the Chatter podcast. And those ads will almost certainly be avoidable. If you want to become a material supporter of Lawfare and join our Patreon supporters, that's a way to listen to the conversations without interruption.
0: And and is there a URL that you should have in mind if that's what you're thinking about?
3: You know, I would think such a URL could be, I don't know, something like patreon.com slash Lawfare. Does that sound like that would be a useful, easy to remember URL for this purpose? That might work. It sounds
0: like a great note on which to end. <laughs> David Priest, Shane Harris, thank you for joining us today. Uh the podcast is chatter.
3: Check it out. We'll put in one plug before the end, Ben. Actually, a plug with multiple parts to it. First part, please follow us on Twitter at ThatWasChatter. And you might be asking, why the hell is your tag on Twitter, that was chatter? You try finding a Twitter name that has something to do with chat or chatter that isn't already taken, whether it's chat, chatter, chatting, chatty, chatty, bang, bang, chat, this chat here, chat now. Almost all of them are taken. But once we post an episode, we can easily tag it on our Twitter account and say, here's our talk with Adam Kinzinger. Here's our talk with Joe Weisberg and at that was chatter. So please follow us on Twitter. You'll get updates. You'll get some behind the scenes. Uh, pictures, maybe even some videos, although not necessarily including aliens. Number two, please do subscribe to the podcast because that way you will get the podcast to drop in your feed early and often.
0: The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Our audio engineer this episode was Hamza Situ of Goat Rodeo. The Lawfare podcast is edited by Jen Patya Howell. Our music is, as ever, performed by Sophia Yan. Our promotional engine is you, the listener. So share us on all the socials. And of course, leave a rating or review wherever you found us. You can become a material supporter of Lawfare at our Patreon page. And as always, thanks for listening.